Hello and welcome to Bear Books. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. And this is our first flash fiction episode of the new season. Excited to get started. So first of all, a massive thank you to everyone who's sending stories for this writing prompt. We love the participation. And I know April, for one, sat and spent ages reading all the stories with a cup of tea in her hand. We've had some really, really good stuff in, actually, this for this um, episode. And trying to pick our favourites to read out on air was actually quite testing, if I'm honest. It definitely was. Yeah, they were all really, really good, but uh, we did manage it in the end. <laughs> we did. Our top four were sent in by Carolyn Ward-Daniels, Sandy Biddles, Susan Haywood and Jerry O'Keefe. They were the standouts. But thank you to everyone that sent in stories. As I say, we absolutely love receiving them. So April and I have chosen our favourites to share with you today. Our joint favourite was Flight by Sandy Biddles, which April will share with you. I absolutely loved that. So are you ready to listen? We're ready. Foamy white waves rolled back and forth while Agnes Bones stood on the shore and dreamed. Her shawl hung loose, her bare legs and feet whipped by surges of sharp sand. Agnes dreamed of being a bird rising, rising away from the uncertainty of her fate. A storm was building, but she scarcely noticed the darkening sky, or the sense of urgency arriving on the tips of the wind. Not a soul was in sight along the bay, not a vessel as far as the horizon, and strangely, no cacophony of seabirds, no sounds but the lap of the waves. Suddenly the girl's revere was broken by a lilting voice, Agnes. A tiny plump woman appeared, walking amongst the dunes, her wiry yellow hair as wild as the gorse, and wrapped in a tawny cloak. What are you doing out here, hen? Your gown and flowers are laid out on your bed. Let us get to the kirk before the storm breaks. Agnes hesitated, suddenly chilled and back in the present. Eliza had been a mother to Agnes for 17 years since her parents were drowned and she was washed onto the beach at six months old. Now her life was to take another turn. In such a small community, a woman was expected to marry. Her existence depended upon it. Agnes reluctantly walked back to the croft, her heart pounding. She thought of the tiny, vulnerable heart of a bird, yet how it can sing and soar till it should burst. The croft was decorated with wreaths and garlands made from flowers and trees of the garden and the coppice beyond. Agnes thought to herself that the kirk would be similarly attired, and the community would soon be waiting despite the impending rain. A wedding was a welcome diversion from the drudgery, a manual work of a crofter, and an opportunity for a feast and dancing. Looking in her small mirror to adjust the flower garland lovingly made by Eliza, Agnes saw a plain, oval, serious face, framed by long, straight chestnut hair. A farmer's wife I shall be, she told herself sternly, repressing tears of self-pity welling in her heart. On the other side of the bay, Tam, at the age of twenty-five and in need of a wife, sat watching the storm heaving itself over the sea towards the island. At six foot two and burnished brown from an outdoor life, he had continued to work the family farm after his father had died. However, Agnes had not considered marriage, and certainly not one of arrangement and convenience. When not helping Elijah at the croft, 
she existed in the woods or on the seashore, foraging, dreaming and singing, at one with nature. Huddled in their crofts, the islanders listened as the rain intensified, soon hammering on the roofs and windows with unbridled force, thunder and lightning battling each other. Farmers rushed to get their animals into shelter, and birds found cover where they could. Eliza did not see or hear Agnes leave. Later she would swear on the Holy Mary that the front and back doors were bolted, Eliza in the parlour and old man Partridge in the kitchen. Agnes Bone was never found and no boats left their moorings. When the storm had died down the next day, the men of the island combed the beach and woods. Near the dunes, Tam, still in his wedding suit, stumbled and saw the wedding band dazzle as it slipped between the rocks. Getting up and continuing down the path to the woods, he fell to see the wreath of red roses and peonies ebbing away on the tide, or the young sandpiper soaring upward from the rocks, singing of its freedom. I thought that story was quite poignant, really. It was quite sad, but it but it was uplifting in a way. It was definitely one to make you think. I think it was quite cleverly written, if I'm honest, and I, I think that's part of the reason why we liked it so much. Yeah. Yeah, I must admit, I mean, at the first time I read it, I kind of skimmed read it, and I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is good, but the second time I read it, and I started to look for hidden meanings, which <laughs> is weird, but... Yeah. That's the kind of thing you do when you do in your GCSEs, isn't it? Look for hidden meanings in stories. And what did the author mean by that? <laughs> I remember writing those essays. Yeah, me too. Right, so we've now got um, your favourite that you picked. Yes. My personal favourite then was Beach Bouquet by Carolyn Ward Daniels. So I'll share that with you now. Petra Bowler was nine, her sister Amy seven. Petra had a colourful imagination, and Amy was only too happy to dive into her sister's fantasy world. They were now off for a seaside holiday, and Petra told Amy it was full of excitement. In their caravan bedroom, they shared bunk beds and their thrills of the day. Beach talk, fun fair, and arcades. They weren't too far from the beach, and they would lay and listen to catch sounds of the sea. When the tide was in, they could hear the pounding of the waves. The little voice in the bottom bunk said, I'm scared, the waves were really big today. Petra leaned over the top bunk. What are you scared of? What if the sea doesn't stop and it keeps coming? It will get us. It will stop, silly, it stops and goes back. What if it doesn't? It will. Amy listened to the pounding, thinking about what she'd overheard in the arcade that day. I heard two men talking about the sea coming in. They talked about the big flood, and one man put his hand over his head saying, I was seven years old then, and it was this deep over my head. We all had to live upstairs until the sea went. How old did he look? Old, like Grandad Bowler. So it was a long time ago. Yes, but I'm seven. What if the sea comes in again? There isn't an upstairs in the caravan. Petra thought about this and tried to figure out how safe they would be. But Amy started snivelling so she slid down from the top bunk and got in bed with her sister. 
It was much narrower than their beds at home, so they were sardined together. Amy thought Petra was clinging close to her because there was a real danger and snivelled some more. Don't cry. Are you scared as well? No, the sea stops and goes back. How does it know to stop? Petra didn't know and thought hard for an answer. You know the earth? Yeah. Well, you know the earth spins around? Yes. Well, as it spins and tips to one side, the water of the sea runs that way. Where does it run to? Probably Australia. So, like, when our tide comes in, it goes out in Australia. And when it goes out here, it goes in over there, the other side of the world. What if it tips the wrong way? It never does. Anyway, the caravan will float. We'll have our own boat. It'd be brilliant. Friday was the last day to go to the beach. A soil-faced cliff gave way to sand dunes and then a promenade and beach access. It was all sand pies, spades and sandwiches. At half past three, the girls were told they were packing up soon. Amy said she wanted to find some shells. Petra pointed to the bottom of the cliff. There are some over there. They took their buckets and footed about in the flotsam the night tide had left and Petra nodded to the cliff, saying, See, this is where the sea stops, Amy. Amy looked at the sand littered with seaweed and amongst the pebbles was a pitiful splat of flowers. Look here, she said. Petra joined her. Looks like they would have been a bouquet. They stared at the sad-looking flowers and Amy said, Do you think someone threw them off the cliff? Why would somebody do that? Like if somebody had died. Petra's eyes widened. Ooh, she added drama to her voice. What if somebody fell off the cliff and died? Or, or was pushed? You mean somebody killed someone? Could have. They both stared up at the ridge and back at the distorted flowers. Petra's mind was on fire. Her imagination needed little prompting. Somebody murdered someone by pushing them off the cliff and then felt sorry and came back with flowers. Do you think it was a woman? Definitely. I think women are easier to push off a cliff. Do you think she got washed out to sea? Yes, she's probably in Australia by now. They heard their mother call them. Petra scored across in the sand with her heel, pitched her hands in prayer and said, God bless. And Amy said, Amen. They raced back to where the parents were packing. The girls declared their need to go to the toilet. Off you go. Stay together. We'll wait outside on the prom for you. The girls talked through the thin partition walls of the cubicles and their conversation floated under and over the gaps. Do you think it was her husband that pushed her off the cliff? Could have been. I mean, he bought flowers after the sea took her body away. A woman at the wash basin dashed outside to tell her husband, who told the man next to him, who stood next to the girl's parents. Their mother went into the toilets as the girls washed their hands. Come on, there's been an incident. What's an incident? A woman's been swept out to sea. They think she's been murdered. The girls looked at each other wide-eyed as their mother left. We were right, Amy. Outside, people were starting to group together on the promenade, arms pointing, heads shaking. The husband of the woman, 
who had overheard the girls, went over to the Coast Guard's office to make inquiries. The Coast Guard immediately phoned the police. The woman saw the girls come in out of the toilets and asked them, You knew about the woman being murdered? Amy said, Yes, our mum told us. The crowd grew and they decided to go back to the caravan. They walked through the sand dunes and heard sirens approaching and blue flashing lights. Before they went to bed that night, Amy put the sink and the basin plugs firmly in the holes and closed the toilet seat so they wouldn't leak if the sea came in. I do like Carolyn's stories. They're always rather good. She's very consistent with the stuff that she sends in. There's very, very few of of her stories that we've not picked. And it's so relatable. I mean, how many instances in your life do you get involved in one of these Chinese whispers? So one said this and somebody said that and, oh, have you heard this? And the gossip is rife. You go from absolutely nothing to dead bodies being washed out at sea. Yeah, absolutely relevant. Cute. We are now going to have a story that's read by me. And Daisy didn't was very reluctant, I'll use the words, to, to have this included. Um, we, we did have a conversation about the fact that maybe we're only going to include two stories in this podcast. But I was very persuasive and twisted her arm, told her it was happening anyway. I didn't even discuss it with her <laughs> at all. And it was the one that Daisy herself has written. Um, and it's called Violet. I think it's genius. Violet Wilson said goodbye to her lifelong friend Mary Rutherford at the front gate of their adjoining terrace houses on Church Street after their usual Saturday outing to the Knit and Natter group with the rest of the WI. It really was a fun one today, Mary. Maud was a riot, wasn't she? I thought she was going to fall off that chair. She was laughing so hard. Mary grinned back at her. Yeah, and Jenny scowled so hard at her behaviour. I'm amazed she didn't pop a vein. Who knew knitting could be such fun? Anyway, good night, Violet. See you tomorrow. Yeah, night, Mary. Sleep well. See you in the morning for church. Violet let herself into her house, hung up her coat and dropped her knitting bag on the hall table before pottering through to the kitchen and popping the kettle on the stove top for a bedtime cuppa with a kick of the good stuff. She took two steaming mugs upstairs and popped one either side of the bed before going over to the bookcase and pushing it along its sliders, before tapping on the door hidden behind it. I've made us a cup of love, she said as the door opened and Mary stepped through, already in her nightgown, from the bedroom next door. Ooh, you're a keeper, Mary said, dropping a kiss on Violet's lips. It'll be the perfect temperature by the time you're ready for bed and snuggled under that eider down with me. Get a wriggle on and I'll get the bed nicely warmed up for you. Just as they were drifting off to sleep, Violet, snuggled up in Mary's arms as usual, said, Have a think about what you'd like to do next weekend. It's our ruby anniversary. We should celebrate. I will, darling. Night-night, sweet dreams. On their anniversary, Mary presented Violet with a watercolour painted by their very good friend and confidant, Thomas Middleton, of the Whitby Harbour. Tom was their neighbour on the other side of Violet's house, and the only person in the whole world who knew their secret. And in fact, even before they told him, Oh, ladies, you don't have to tell me, he said with a grin at the time, the walls are paper thin. The ladies spent their special day at Whitby Harbour, 
then visited the Abbey and joked about buying a dog and calling him Stoker in honour of Bram Stoker, who had written a book in their area. The dog had been an ongoing joke over the years. That was really only half a joke, as Mary would have loved one, but their lifestyle didn't really lend itself to owning a dog. They had never spent a night apart in 40 years, and that night was no different. They made love until the early hours and drifted off to sleep, wrapped up in each other, as always. As Jack sauntered along Church Street with Tilly, his beloved border collie, on their morning walk, he spotted Violet on her doorstep. He dropped her a wink as he said, Morning, Violet, love, how are you today? Violet smiled. Morning, Jack, another blustery one I see. I lass, but at least the sun is shining today, and it's always that bit nicer when I see your smile of a morning. Just then Mary appeared on her doorstep next door. Oh, looks like I timed it just right for a neighbourhood natter this morning. Morning, Jack. Morning, Violet. Good morning. Another beautiful face to brighten up my day, flirted Jack. Get away with you, Jack, giggled Mary as she stepped out of her gate to pop down the grocers. I bet you say that's all as old girls, eh, Violet? Mary stepped onto the road still smiling. She didn't see the new Model T Ford car and the driver, distracted, showing off his new car to his passenger, didn't see her until it was too late. Jack rushed to Mary's side and did his best to help, and Violet cried Mary's name over and over she dropped to her knees beside her love, willing her to open her eyes. The noise on Church Street went from screeching metal, shouts for help, and the slamming doors of the neighbours running to help, to utter silence, as everyone stood shocked. Silence broken only by Violet's quiet sobs as they waited for an ambulance to arrive. On what would have been Violet and Mary's 41st anniversary, Violet walked along the beach towards Whitby Harbour with a bouquet of ruby red roses, dropping them one by one along the sand as she walked. And on her coat she wore a gold ring set inside a Whitby jet brooch in honour of Mary. She couldn't bring herself to walk round the harbour today, so she turned round and called, Come on, Stoker, let's go home. Good boy. Well, thank you for reading that out. It's good, it's quirky, and it's it's about secret lives, and I liked it. Yeah. I've always wanted to write a story that had at least one secret door in it, if not secret tunnels and all the rest of it. I'm a big fan of that sort of thing. But anyway, moving on from Flash Fiction, the next episode we are back to doing an indie author review. And the book is April's Choice, and it has the longest title of a book I've ever had on this show so far in a whole six seasons. <laughs> and it's called... Just a minute. We're doing the compilation next. Do you, have you lost the plot, love? Oh, God, I have, haven't I? I've yes. completely lost the plot. I'm way ahead of myself. You are. Can we blame the Christmas season and the amount of alcohol everyone's drinking and the yeah. fact that I've just had a works do? Yeah, of course we can. I mean, in, t in terms of, of this book, this is like a, a, a whole host of flash fiction stuck in a book. It is, actually, because it's called Girls Next Door. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the one April chose. That's next time we're reviewing a book. So this time it is Girls Next Door. It was edited by Sandy Lowe and Stacia Seaman. It is a book of flash fiction stories and sort of resonated with us on first 
perusal because that's kind of what we're about too. Lots and lots of flash fiction stories. So we picked this one up while I chose this one. I'll take the blame or the credit, whichever. (laughs) Well, that's the one we're reviewing next time. So you will want to tune in to hear all about that book. Yeah, my jury's out on whether it's a a credit or a, um, what was the word you used? Yeah, but the thing is, there are so many stories in it that you've got these little golden nuggets dispersed in and amongst all those short stories that were a joy to read. Yeah, it was like panning for gold, you're not wrong. (laughs) There's not really a lot more to say to that, is there? I think we'll leave it there and we will see you next time. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Bear Books and Bear Books Pod 1 on social media. We'd love it if you could share the podcast with your friends. And thanks so much to everyone that's left us a review. If you're listening today and you haven't given us a review yet, please do. It helps other people discover us and their new favourite indie authors. We'll be back soon with more reviews and more flash fiction. See you next time. Mm-hmm.